grain. I don't make movies, I make film. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Nick Rowe. Instagram. Never make a movie. I love the fucking Ion Tower. Why do we have to see his fucking name in the movie? Left-wing politics. Rub Vaseline on the lens. Make out with girls. You are a creative, we get it. I'm my fucking line producer, trust fund, baby. This is a film? You know, I hate the word movie. Josh Sapke. Beautiful girls. We are watching Mean Girls. Spike Young sucks bad. This is how I would. Light. Communist movie. Get me brackage. No indies. Coming to America, meet the parents. I'm a straight up slut. There's a whole group of guys who pretend to be making special films. What, no Q&A? You're not man enough. As a filmmaker, he is nothing, a zero. He's a, a pig piece of shit. Let's just re-say everything we just said. Come on, we can't do it. I don't remember what we just said. We said, um... Lucian Smith. STP. Stealing the Ion Packs products. <laughs> Can't believe you call it that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he called it. That's the anagram. Um, Pretty crazy. Um, wait, have you talked to him? Does he Is he, like, coming in? Yeah, he's coming in. I mean, I told him midnight. It's 11.58. Um, and also, Packers, this one's a little different because we're doing it remotely because it's uh, like I'd have to dig my car out to drive to the ion pad, which would take forever. So, uh, This is I'm like home. the early days of the ion pod where everything's exactly. remote. Oh, shit. Lucian, Lucian's, Lucian's here. Hold on. I'm admitting the bull. You ready? Let's get this king in here. All right, we're about to admit Lucian Smith in here. We've we've kept him out of here for a while, but here he is, King. Where is the King? Yo, yo, <laughs> there he is. Am I am I on here? Is it working? Yeah, I think we we can hear you pretty good. Oh shit! Wait, you guys don't have like, we don't have have like those those voice distorters yet. No, no, that's, no, that's yeah, we can't, we can't go. Yeah, you get, you get to hear the the real voice. I'm so used to hearing the the distortion. <laughs> I guess that I've heard you. I've met. I mean, I don't even know if I've met you guys in real life at this point. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I saw you on my my birthday, which was Halloween. But I, I don't, I don't know if you if you knew it was me. <laughs> oh man, that was such a crazy night. I fucking crashed my car, and like all these kids laughed at me. In New York, in the city? Yeah, because, like, we tried to throw, or, like, I guess I tried to throw a Halloween party for SDP, and, like, everyone kept telling me not to get permits, so I was like, all right, like, we won't get permits. And then, like, obviously, as soon as I show up there with, like, security guards that are working for us and shit, like, a fucking park ranger. Like, when have you ever seen a park ranger in Tompkins? You know what I mean? Like, it's like someone definitely, like, snitched and, like, rattled. Oh, yeah, there was a snitch. I think I know who it was too, but like whatever, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, no, no, no. Name, were like making fun of me, and then like to add on top of it, like I had pulled my car in there to like get all the speakers out and put them into my car, and like somehow like clipped the fence, and then it was just like a huge. It was just like my worst nightmare. I like went back to high school to get laughed at by a bunch of skaters. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> and like a secure, and like a park ranger who like. <laughs> No, that's that sucks. Halloween shouldn't get ruined like that. How did you know that it was us that snitched? Oh my god! Here we go. Oh, it's because oh yeah, you guys were supposed to DJ. You totally did throw me under the bus. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, he's not giving us the DJ slot. I'm snitching <laughs> oh, on the fucking park. It all makes sense now. 
<laughs> um, no, no I, saw, I saw you at the Bowery, bro. Yeah, we both saw you at the Bowery. I know, but I, I remember now. Oh yeah, just, I, we, we might we, we might have had we might have had uh, <laughs> costumes on. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I we were there for a sec. Did you have fun? I had a horrible. Yeah, we had, we had like a small shindig at the Ion Pad. Like, no. Shouldn't say that. No, what was it was small. Once it once it got past like eight people, I was just like, get the fuck out. And you had eighty like, people at the Ion Pad. No, no eight like eight, <laughs> like under ten. And then Kyle rolled through with like a huge crew of people. And they were like, I think there's a party across the street. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what's up because I this is way too many fucking people in here. Not even, I mean, like obviously a COVID thing too, but it was just like. It's, oh. I don't know. For me, it's cooler when it's less people. That was like that's like the history of my life. I feel like as an adult is like, I feel like I've always lived in the place that was always been like the after party. Yeah. Right. And then like eventually you just are the after party. And then I feel like the last time I lived in New York, I feel like the last time I had like a party at my apartment, like I didn't know anyone there, and there was like someone like fucking in my bed or something, and I was just like, this has got to end. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't I haven't thrown a party where I live in many years for that reason i mean that's, yeah, the, rock, that's the rock star creative lifestyle yeah but there's yeah. nothing more annoying than like people you don't know like I have, on like, your bed I have, like, like a fear of like going to sleep alone unless it's like my last option right so like even i'll like bring anyone home i mean that sounds wrong but like i would bring anyone home with me and like in the sense that like it doesn't really matter to me as long as like there's noise going on Oh, right. So you, yeah, you like yeah. So that's I guess that's sort of an extrovert thing. But when I'm out here, like I, I definitely like identify as an introvert. But yeah, in the same sentence, like in some way, if I'm around people or like if I'm intoxicated, like then I like switch. Yeah. No, I've noticed that about you because I've been curious because like I'm I'm slightly jealous that you have this like you live out you're out in Montauk now, right? Yeah. I mean, and, that, that, it's been like six years since that moment that like I had that party, and I was like, "All right, this is it. That, that's it." Yeah, but I think that you you traverse between like hermit, like working on art stuff, like out far out, but then like you will come in and and turn up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's starting to change now that I, like I'm not drinking, so like I'm dealing with that. But in the past like few years, it definitely is like this thing where, like, it's 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 it, it's like magnified itself because. When I used to live in the city, I would able to like curb it or like I'd get bored like after one or two days of drinking like or binging, like I just like can't. But now I'll go through like weeks of like not doing anything that like I build up this huge like explosion of turned upness that just like ends up <laughs> just like horrible. And then I like crawl back to like my cave. But so it's, it's like, like, do you see it as like kind of like a, a relapse or? Because we're just talking to two mostly sober people. I mean, like I'm totally sober. And yeah, I mean, I mean, if I if I was to do it now, I would definitely consider it a relapse. But back then, it was just more of like, oh, like I'm rewarding myself for my like really good behavior. Right. right. And then Wait, I so would like spend two days like or three days like recovering, and then get into like some crazy rhythm, and then get bored and be like, all right, I'm just gonna like start this shit over again. And then it just gets to a point where like I'm over that as well. I'm just like, fuck that. Are you um? Are you like committing? You're like trying to get sober, or are you just trying to kind of cut back no, and like, calm down? I'm, I'm full AA at this point. Okay. Like, I have to get a sponsor, but 
I'm my last dude, my last sponsor, I, I obviously won't disclose his name, but like I picked him up like on the side of the road in the rain, like with Coke, like all over his face and oh, he had like relapsed and like left his wife's house. So like, I definitely have to like have Pick a better sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll sponsor you, bro. I mean, yeah, I, I too is like full on sober. I'm, I'm not, but I, uh, I don't really like drugs, so it's not. I hit um, 12 years like, a couple weeks ago. Congrats, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, I, the, it's interesting. Like, cause we, we keep kind of skirting around the, the talks of sobriety and uh, or Yeah, no, I was listening to the Trevor Trevor uh, uh, podcast the other day, and I, and I, and I, I caught that for a second. Yeah, it's, I think it's something we want to explore a little bit more without maybe like making the whole episode about that. But it is interesting. Um, and I think I, we'd be I down to make a whole episode about. It. I just think we we don't want to be preachy, is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, uh, this there's could some just turn into like one big chair. Right. <laughs> but there's like some people. I, I, I will who... say that like I don't know why this is coming up, but like for some reason there's that Woody Allen quote, you know, where he's like like. I, like quitting smoking is the easy thing to do. I've done it a million times. <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. me with like drugs and alcohol. Right. Yeah. Well, no, it's why I, um, well, I, I don't like drugs and I've never liked them. So I never even thought there was ever is any issue there, but, um, I definitely, th my relationship with alcohol was, uh, not good for a while. And I didn't think that was a problem because I've known alcoholics and in the classic sense of the term alcoholic. And I picture them as kind of like a, a mess and their friends are taking care of them and their lives are fucked up. And that wasn't me. So I didn't think there was any issue. And maybe there wasn't an issue per se, but um, I did realize that it's not like, you know, you're sleeping on the street or you're fine. Like you can have a bad relationship with this stuff and it's like a, a net negative on your life without being this kind of a caricature of an alcoholic or whatever that you have in your head. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I definitely thought like being an alcoholic was like the woman in like Eight Mile that like plays right. Eminem's mom or like yeah. Yeah. what's that movie with fucking the kid from The Sixth Sense where it's like six degrees of separation or whatever? Oh, uh, Pay It Forward? Yeah, you know, his mom's like always like freaking out and like trying to grab like the hidden bottles of vodka yeah like, that in my head was like ingrained as a kid as like oh like that's an alcoholic exactly yeah the portrayals like, of addiction and alcoholism and in, in yeah. film is like that that shapes is like oh that's not me because it's it's usually like so extreme or it's like so you know it's it's placed for the for the cinematic narrative purpose of like this person is an addict but it doesn't always look like that yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and then you're like oh that's not me so you go like half your life like just like going on that notion that like i'm not an alcoholic because you just were like misled it's like when your parents tell you something as a kid and you just like don't question it and then you go your whole life believing it and you're like wait like what the fuck totally. so did you have like a come to jesus moment with this or is this like a recent development with, no i i just think it's just been like years of abuse to like my body and like my life that like at this point I just like making a decision like either like I, I can like pull myself out of this rut and like go explore some new shit or I can just like continue doing the same boring cycle that I, I used to and I, I just like got bored of it. But um, yeah, there was like a, I was going to say something about like that's that like miss, 
misinterpretation um, with with using. Oh yeah, like I remember even like as a kid or like like 15, 14 or 15 years old, like my psychiatrist like asked me like how much alcohol I consumed. And I remember telling him like probably like nine to 12 beers of like an evening. And my, like my mom sat in that session and kind of was like in disbelief. And I was like, what, that's like not even that much. And like looking back on it, like as a 15 year old, like when my like psychiatrist is telling me that like I consume, I'm an alcoholic, like I just like realized like how, how far back that like that thing stems. It's not like the last two years of my life that like I couldn't manage, you know, it's like kind right. of something yeah. that's just like with me forever. It's just I mean, like that's, oh, that's just, heavy. Nine to twelve beers when you're fifteen. That's, well, that's dude, yeah. Job. Like me, me and my buddy, like this kid Scott. They called him No Shoes in high school. He would like he was like my stepbrother's friend, and he became my friend because I guess like my stepbrother like was dating my chemistry teacher at the time and like didn't have time to hang out with him anymore. So I like inherited him, and he would just like pick me up with no shoes on at like midnight, and we would get in his Ford Explorer. And like this is like when like Coors Light like came out with that like blue, remember that like blue liner in the can? It was like, it keeps the can colder. It's like this like secret technology they had. It was like probably 2005 maybe, 2004. And we would uh, just yeah. buy like an 18 pack of it and sit in like an alley in Santa Monica and just like drink it and listen to music. And then like, I'd like, he'd drop me off and I'd crawl back in like my house and go to school. It was like pre-hangover shit. So I, I could definitely like, right. Yeah, we definitely like finished that 18 pack between the two of us. So, and that was like every night. And that like school nights, you know, like fr come Friday, Saturday, it was a whole nother fucking ball game. Damn. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't told that story to anyone. Like, I, like, I remember. So, I like lived with a foster family in high school because my mom kind of like her shit just got, got kind of thrown all over the place with her job. And I like chose to stay put in LA. So, like, I lived with this like really amazing family. Um, that kind of sort of like kept me on a really loose leash. But I remember once, like we came, you had to like hop this fence to get back in my house and we always make this super loud noise. And she had like these little dogs that would always like sort of, they were like the house alarm. So you'd have to like bypass them. And I remember once she like, she, I guess she was like out there walking them at like 3 a.m. And I had came home and like I saw her for a second and I like, and, and like Scott's like falling out of his car, like, like inebriated. And I remember for some reason I was so wasted. I was just like, if I like some like Jurassic Park shit, like if I don't move and hide, like she just like won't see me and will go away. And she was just like, I see you, like come out of there. And I remember like that's kind of when shit was like it got checked. It was like, oh fuck, like this wasn't cool to be doing. Right. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think when you can trace experiences like that that far back into your life, then things can kind of crystallize later in life. It's like, oh yeah, this has been my shit all along right well yeah, it's actually interesting you say that because um I, well okay the first time i uh really appreciated not drinking was two years ago working on ion number two's movie because we oh. went upstate to shoot it for how long was it like a month yeah like 28 days yeah and uh you know, like uh, we were working on the set all day, and there's underage kids and stuff. So I mean, there was no uh, there was no alcohol or anything. So I went the whole time without drinking, not even explicitly on purpose. It just wasn't around, and it was probably the longest I've ever gone in my adult life. And I realized how much better I felt, and or just like um, clearer and more in touch with myself. I felt, and I was like, 
yeah, I mean, if this was any other drug that I was doing, you know, multiple times a week for <laughs> the better part of a decade, I would say it was a big deal. But oh, for some but, reason, I... Yeah, no, I mean, that shit will, like, humble you real quick. Yeah. And sort of, like, performance anxiety. You just, like, reminded me of something that, like, I'm, like, terrified to, like, come clean with this, but, like, whatever, I'm just gonna, like, ride this wave of, like, honesty, and maybe this is becoming, like, an AA share, but I, <laughs> I just, the, like, I made lot. this movie, this, like, this short film, like, a few years ago called Snowy Day that, like, I just posted on Instagram today, and, like, yeah. I remember... Shouts. We, showed, we showed it at the film screen. Yeah, there was the a one. film screen. Oh, one. Yeah. yeah, okay, so you've seen it, so, yep. so, like, I, like, it cost us, like, over 50k to make that movie. I won't even say how much it cost, because, like, at the time, it wasn't even my money, I just, like, got people to give me all this cash, is why we have, like, a helicopter scene and, like, the opening credits, but um, I remember someone telling me, like, whatever you do for your first movie, like, don't work with animals or kids, and, like, so, like, obviously, my first film, I ended up working with animals and kids, kids and like that cat was like the cat from that movie like Lewin Davis or whatever or you know that uh-huh. you know, who's yeah, the yeah. guy in Star Wars in the new Star Wars uh, the dude who plays like the X-Wing fighter oh I'm not, I'm not sure yeah we, we're talking not Star Wars guys here <laughs> you know this guy but anyways we got the cat from the movie that he's in and like this cat was supposed to be the cat you know like all this fucking cat had to do was like hop on a bed and like it couldn't do that. And this lady like had this little clicker and like would hide cat food and shit. And so at one point we just like, I had like someone pull her aside to like another room and we kept the camera rolling. And I just like threw the cat on the bed and that was the end of it. But to the, to my point is that I had like gone through a breakup, like right before we were starting to film that movie. And like, there was no way that I was going to like push the scheduling back. Like everything was in motion but I was like so emotionally distraught at the time that I was like, okay, like the only way I'm going to like be able to film this movie is if like I start like dosing heroin throughout the the six days of shooting in order to yeah. like curb whatever emotional shit I was going through. Mm-hmm. So it was like freezing cold. I'm working with kids. I'm working with fucking animals. It's my first time filming. And I'm like snorting heroin throughout the filming of the movie. Oh, you were actually doing heroin. Yeah, which was just like, I don't even know how we were able to pull it off or like get anything to like be semi-presentable, what we did, which has kind of given me like confidence, like, oh, okay, well, if I could have done a movie in those conditions, like the next time around, like it'll be a breeze, which maybe like that's like my logic for looking at things. But yeah, like to think about fucking being on set or doing any sort of like high performance or production sort of project inebriated is terrifying and imagine like the sobering feeling of like having clarity while doing something like that well the other thing Um, i realized is um like you i mean uh, you think uh, i mean i guess it's different for everyone especially if they have the addict gene and it's kind of like in their blood but for me at least uh I I started to think about okay like why do I think I have a bad relationship with alcohol like uh, what is causing me to have this bad relationship like in the past two years before I stopped drinking so much at the begin like right at the beginning of this year um, I was working in nightlife so I was around uh, parties all the time and it's kind of hard to be in those scenarios all the time and not drink. And I got to the point where I was like constantly feeling embarrassed because I felt like I had uh, 
talked too much when I, I would like drink too much and I would uh, get really open with people that I didn't know that well. Yeah, yeah, the uh, guilt. And, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was constantly finding myself uh, apologizing to people because I felt like I made them uncomfortable by talking uh, too personally. Apologizing um, to them like in the moment or like apologizing no, like the to next them, day. Like, the next day. Like that was like a thing that I was constantly feeling like, uh, fuck, I uh, definitely looked like a weirdo last night just like spilling yeah. my guts to this person um and uh point being i realized i think maybe the reason that that was uh how the drinking too much was finding expression for me was because I, I think i was like missing some type of uh closeness and connection in general uh so that's kind of what alcohol i ended up using alcohol to find uh, or make make a kind of desperate grab to find right so uh once i kind of realized that it made me kind of realize what i had to fix in my own life that would make me not have to have a bad relationship with alcohol if i could fix that kind of underlying cause you know what i mean yeah, yeah. no yeah, I, I, think, I fucking yeah. get like i get like night terrors still from like shit that i've done in the past or said like i, I guess that's like the like what we're like the word cringe like you know like the physical oh, yeah. cringe like sometimes i'll like be laying there oh 100 percent. like i'll just like you know when you like jump up because like you're having a dream that like you're falling down the stairs or something oh yeah i'll have to be thinking about some shit that went down in my past and like and then i'll like have one of those like physical like reactions to it like to this day which is like yeah, I don't know if you guys get that. It's fucking. Oh no, absolutely. I still, I still do it all the time. Um, I think to your point or earlier, I think it's it's really true that imagine, you know, how much you could have engaged with whatever your big project might be, making a movie or working on something else. Had had you had access to the full use of your own mental and physical facilities, because I think there's this stigma around making art or being involved with big art projects and needing some sort of exterior uh substance related tool to kind of bring you there whether it be like adderall or drinking oh or yeah no or... it's totally like bullshit i think that like it is bullshit i've had like like yeah i've had like such great amazing like pure moments of joy from just like being sober and like have the clarity to like see shit like in the way that it is you know like obviously like mind altering drugs and like being fucked up or, you know, maybe it's just like being young and like your brain just like is looking at things differently. I could see how like people, you know, I definitely thought when I was younger, like, Oh, getting fucked up, like adds to like my creativity. But in a way it's just like, it's just like not, it just curbs yeah. your shit until, you know, you catch on to like, you're not getting anything done. It's like when you're, yeah. it's like when yeah, you're yeah. on acid or mushrooms and you like write a bunch of shit down your phone, you read it the next day and it's just like, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, the way I try to frame it is that, like, I mean, I, I used to, like, before I went to rehab, I was, like, smoking crack and meth, and I was, like, a total speed freak, and I was thinking back to, like, I felt like an artist or, like, a creative person, and it was actually really just giving me the, like, I would listen to my favorite music while I was fucked up, and, like, I had this, and I would dress a certain way, and, like, I would have this, I would get the feeling 
that I thought that I wanted out of like being a creative person when in fact I was actually doing nothing. Like I put in no work to doing anything. Like I wasn't, I had really no ambition. It, it's really an ambition yeah, well, squasher. It's, it's because it, yeah, it's because it's like inhibiting or it's like altering your perception, right? So like I've always said that like, even if you're someone who creates something, you're also, you're, you're like, you're, you're like number one fan or like number one viewer or listener. You know, like I always yes. call like like uh, viewers or listeners tourists because they're just like really visiting in an artist's like 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 portfolio or uh, catalog resident. You know, like only an artist really gets to understand and enjoy their work to its full capacity. So, like when you're intoxicated, it's it's obvious that your ideas are going to be altered and seem like more exciting or or more interesting because like you're literally just like dumber than you normally are. Yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not really engaging with any ideas outside of yourself. Like when people talk about taking drugs or, or drinking as a, as a selfish thing, that was something I always resisted when I was trying to get sober. But like that really is what it is. It's like a emphasizing and amplifying feelings that are only related to you and have very sort of like negative for the most part consequences. I mean, in reality, but like I, I don't one of the things I wanted to say since we're talking about this is that like I'm not like anti-drug in any sense like when trevor came on and revealed to us that he was on two tabs of acid like, yeah. i thought that was interesting and like there's, maybe... there's also just like some people that can handle it or some people that just like haven't gotten to that point in their life yet where they realize that like it's yeah i that's what i think that yeah. there there are some people that's why i said in the beginning like uh we kind of just talk about it at least personally because i don't want to be preachy in that sense because i totally yeah. recognize that not everyone has a brain that's like mine and some people can be totally fine with it and don't have a bad relationship with it and that's uh great for them i'm not like uh judging them or telling them they should stop but um yeah. but i do think it's worth uh if you at all think um I don't know. I think it's worth if you have any type of even bordering on unhealthy relationship with substances, you should look at why you're doing them or like really try to figure out why you're doing them. Like yeah, I said, for me, assessing the cause or like if perhaps you're trying to overcompensate yeah, or something. I, I yeah, felt like I uh, was not communicating with people like or connecting with people enough. Yeah, and and that's uh, why I would end up drinking too much because I, it was subconsciously i felt like i was connecting to people because it just made me feel like uninhibited and i could just talk to everybody and i wasn't thinking uh, and i liked that but then when i realized that that was actually the problem the problem was not that i like enjoyed drinking or enjoyed being drunk or whatever the problem was that i felt like i wasn't communicating at all so now i'm i started thinking about fixing that problem instead of fixing the problem of, of drinking right so yeah when i uh start addressing that problem it it actually was much easier because uh drinking became a non-issue because i was now like really hitting the root cause you know what i mean yeah this is something i definitely want to bring up to to kave because kave has like an interesting relationship kave zahedi has an interesting relationship to taking drugs and like he's he's very much a proponent of smoking weed and that being a uh, a means to connecting with people on like a on a better level but didn't, didn't, he, didn't he do that thing where he was like taking those hero doses or something wasn't that yeah he was taking hero doses of uh mushrooms and i mean he's yeah. yes psychedelics and i um and he yeah he's just a big proponent because like obviously his main thing is like being honest radical honesty and just like being that like you know a champion of of being sort of like the mo the purest version of yourself in the way that you engage with reality and he talked about weed as something that 
helps him to get there, which I love to talk about him because with him because I kind of disagree. I respect the opinion, but it's it's interesting to me because like to me, my most honest self is only accessed through you know not taking drugs. Like I become a version of myself that is not truthful when I'm fucked up. Yeah. No, I'm definitely right there with you. I mean, it's taken me like a long time to like get to that point or like break out of a cycle where I can like rediscover that clarity. Like, you know, there's points where I reach where like, I can't, like, I don't even remember ever feeling some of the feelings that I feel now, even when I was like a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't stand weed and never really could. And it doesn't work with me at all, but it does. I do see some people who seem to kind of get some like a positive out of it. And they don't really treat it like people treat certain substances that, uh, kind of take over their life and, uh, maybe hold them back. I mean, maybe it is holding them back and I don't know, but it does seem like this kind of thing that I, I could buy people having a healthy relationship with. And maybe for some people it does help them connect. I don't know. I, I don't, understand it but no, I'm, I think I'm trying it's, to yeah, no, because, it's yeah. like a psychological difference and and maybe there is some like like physical or like chemical imbalance in addicts you know like I, I i'm i've become more and more of a believer that like what i suffer from is like an actual disease you know and that like yeah i've pretty much spent my whole life sort of self-medicating and trying to find like you know the drug that works for me but whatever that drug was going to be whether it was like heroin or alcohol like it eventually would have some sort of like long-term physical or mental damage that it would do to me and, and to my life. And so like, you know, it's like the thing in chemistry class where like, I, I always like remember this moment where they, they give you that like cotton swab and they tell you to put it on your tongue and like some kids go ill and some kids like don't taste shit. It's like, obviously right. there probably is some like, you know, chemical reaction that's happening to me. That's not happening to someone in the same way that yeah. like, you might not be able to smoke weed, but someone else can like sit there and smoke a bong and like write an essay. Oh, totally. Right. I mean, when I when I have smoked weed, it's like this is absolutely not what people feel because there's zero way you could enjoy this in any yeah, way. Yeah, I'm like right. A, I'm right there with you. Though I yeah. pushed and tried and like yeah. you know tried to figure out like what strands of weed or what to smoke or maybe don't smoke while I'm drinking or like you know there was a point where like I right. would smoke weed at home alone like before going to bed, which was fine because like for me, the adverse effects were like the insecurity and like this, the like antisocial behavior that came along with it. Right. Right. Well, the way I, I mean, I have some issues with, with AA as a program, but like there's obviously lots of value in it. And something that speaks to both, what both of you are saying is that like it's, it, it addiction is framed as a spiritual malady and it's p- people who are filling a void with something that is toxic to their body, which is also kind of plays into why a lot of addicts also make art because if maybe if they're channeling it in a positive, that that urge or that need, that void, and that they're filling that with making art in a positive way, like that's that's what brings them there. But um, that obviously can tip over into the into the dark side. Um, so I just think it's like an interesting thing to talk about because yeah. I think that it's it's probably not talked about quite enough or, you know, there's obvious, cause to me, like, I feel like at the end of the nineties or through the two thousands, like it goes through cycles where like, all right, we're going to stop glamorizing drug use, but then it always comes back. And there's just like this inherent connection between people who are 
cool or want to make art or like are somehow in the public eye and drug use and alcohol use and there's like this weird stigma surrounding how it's talked about um and i think it is worth talking about because there's a lot of people who do like genuinely struggle with this stuff and yeah no we're, we're doing like some pretty interesting like we're figuring it out now but i've been working with this doctor uh paul conti and he's gonna do like a pretty exciting like zoom webinar on stp's like podcast or on stp zoom like for public consumption which, which talks a lot about like what we're talking about like creativity and addiction and like why those things oftentimes go hand in hand yeah i mean that yeah again this is what i was saying before is that uh i felt like uh, when i i mean full disclaimer i don't consider myself an addict like i uh i can pull in the reins um i think and i have uh <laughs> since uh quarantine started but it was it was hard when i was like uh around it all the time i don't know but anyway my point being is that i felt like i wasn't communicating and i don't mean that in just uh um just the sense of uh, you know hanging out with people and like connecting with them i mean i was working a lot i wasn't uh making stuff nearly as much as i wanted to or needed to and uh, I think that the more I felt like I wasn't, I didn't have uh, output, uh, the more I wanted to drink because it was, I, subconsciously I felt like I was getting that type of release through that, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I don't know, I mean, once you like get in the zone and you're making something, I mean, creativity is like in a way an altered state of consciousness. And... Um, in a healthy one and i think that if you replace substances with it it can work very well well it cheats your reward system like when you make something right exactly exactly it, but like that's the reward if you're if you cheat your reward system and give yourself a treat before you've actually done anything in reality then your body doesn't know to keep going and your body doesn't know to continue on with exactly and, 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 and feeling pleasure and exactly, and that's the thing, and it's but that's the other thing that like uh, kind of gets forgotten when you're talking about that is that uh, it's more than just like you want you're not just after a reward. You want to uh, communicate something. You want to do something. You want to uh, birth something. You want to put something into the world, uh, and you feel a your reward system rewards you for doing that. But you're not just after the reward. You're after uh, putting something into the world. Right, so doing That's substance the reward is, is exactly, is and so cheating the reward system. It's it's a it's also much worse than just that because you're getting that feeling and you're not doing you're not putting anything out into the world, which will probably make you feel worse. And you kind of it's a cycle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, and I also should also say that like I think that I believe in having positive experiences using drugs like for me like i i would say that like i wasn't someone who was ever going to get addicted to acid but like i had very profound very good experiences on acid and i think that if somebody were asking for a recommendation um i would recommend trying acid no, before yeah. you die well there's definitely like there's i mean i would say i probably i've had so many like amazing moments and horrible ones too on drugs and alcohol that like i just like am not willing to give up you know, like right, I feel like right. in any way, like the amalgamation of those moments are like the thing that have gotten me to where I am now. But, you know, it's just, it, it comes to a point where like, I don't foresee those, 
those moments happening as regularly as they used to. And there's probably like a switch off point there where just like, okay, like enough is enough. Well, we're also getting older. Yeah. yeah like, I don't think I would be able to like go back to like the 15 year old me and be like, yo, you got to go to rehab or like go to AA, like, nor would I, nor would I think I would, you know, I would probably like allow that to happen on its own time. It needs to play out. Yeah. I think yeah. having have you it seen, play have out. Have you seen Tenet? Yeah. How many times have you guys seen Tenet already? I saw Tenet once in theaters. I still haven't seen it. Dude, I watched well, it like, I watched like five times the last two days. What and did you and do you understand it more now? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it definitely. Um, I watched it today just because people were at my house and they wanted to watch it. But the other four times, I was just trying to wrap my head around like specific parts. But yeah, like I wouldn't go back in a turnstile and like tell myself to go to AA. Pretty much. Right. Oh, so you're you're riffing off of Tenet now. I see. Yeah. <laughs> you're the protagonist now yeah um <laughs> yeah no nolan is i don't know if i would relate no, christopher nolan movies quite on the level of like taking psychedelics but i think that um that is what people get out of those movies is it is like a drug-like experience yeah it's just just like you're lost and confused and at the end you kind of like don't know what to do with yourself and you can just you can either decide to do it again <laughs> or not. Yeah. Um, well, a Christopher Nolan movie is like picking up substance. It, it, it basically yeah. So do you you so you have like there you have friends out there where you're out in Montauk that like you, you're trying uh, people. Yeah, I mean this is kind of like this is like kind of the first year that I have like normal friends or I guess like I've been kind of like seeing this girl out here. Fuck, she's gonna totally like hear this and be like, oh, so we're seeing each other now. <laughs> Um, which is cool with me. I showed her like we were, we listened to the Trevor Pod together actually. Um, Six. Yeah, I don't know. Like I got a studio out here, which is like one of the reasons why I like kind of like decided to get my shit together. Oh right, look, uh, I saw the pictures. That looks. And, sick. Huh? The pictures look sick. Yeah, no, it's it's great, man. It's like really, I can't like I've just like reached a point in my life where like I can't really believe that I'm here. You know, like it's taken right. me like kind of five years to sort of like pull together a lot of shit that like I purposely like disassembled, but it feels good. And like, yeah, so like t this is like the first year that I've definitely like have like tried to, to like establish a healthy social life here and not just like go to the city and like, you know, try to live out whatever remnants of a life that I have there. Um, it's still fun and like, you know, there's still a connection that I have to the city and, and whatnot, but yeah, like having like a healthy, social network out here has been also like a big plus side to just like coming to terms with like this is what my life is now and i'm gonna like make the best of it but those people are out there in montauk they like they live there or they yeah i mean some of my college graduates you know that now live here obviously because of like covid and stuff like that um yeah i'm interested by that and just just like i mean looking around new york now it's like I and mean, it's obviously cold out but like there's there you know it is it is waning the, the, the people that's the scene yeah no i mean i haven't i mean i have like a few friends from the city who who are like out here too you know or who you know like my friend julian um who was like one of the marketing directors at supreme like he and his family live out here you know they would most likely have been living in the city during the winter but because of the kids and stuff they you know, moved to Sag Harbor. Um, so there's like a mix of that, um, which definitely like changes things a bit in a, in a good way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's weird, like moving out here, 
I don't know. I guess I don't really know what I was expecting. You know, I, I like saw this meme the other day that was like, hello kitty. And it was like social distancing question mark. Like I've been not fucking with y'all. Like, <laughs> I really like, it's like kind of like what, like I've been in my own form of like quarantine for like five years and feel like, I guess that's why like none of this really like is a shock to me or like my lifestyle like really hasn't changed much right. since COVID. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's changed for other people. And it's been interesting for me to like watch other people like have to go through maybe some of the stuff that like I was dealing with on my first or second year out here. What was the yeah. impetus for you to go there in the first place? Was that, were you dead set on like, I'm going to Montauk? No, nah, it was, you know, like I, I was like, I was making like a bunch of money at a, at a point in my life. And like, I really took it for granted. And then I started noticing that like my bank account no longer was like going up, but going down. And I sort of just like, caught it uh, like caught a piano falling out a window and you know they like, say never to do that but i was like oh i have like 700k left in my bank i'm like i'm gonna buy a house with like whatever i have left and then right. once i did that i couldn't really like afford to live in the city and like sort of pay off my mortgage so i just like i was like oh whatever like i'll just go out there for like a few months and make art and like figure it out and like a few months turned in like a few years and then you know, that was, that was, that was it kind of. And, and you prefer it to your life in the city? Uh, I don't know if it's prefer as much as just like, you know, when we bring like the whole alcoholism into perspective and how I was living, like I definitely have a healthier perspective and healthier lifestyle out here. And I definitely like, you know, I want that, you know, and I, you know, as much as like, I would love to live in the city uh, right now, realistically, it's just like a difficult thing for me to do because there's just like so many things. And I feel like in a way, like I'm, I'm very weak willed when it comes to like distractions yeah. and doing things that are harmful to me that like the physically further I am I away from that, like the easier my life is. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. I think I, I actually engage with the city in sort of an addict way being a sober person. Like I think I, I have an addiction to the city and all the distractions and and rich all this how saturated the city is with experiences is something that like i still seek out from it. and it's the reason like i still enjoy being in a city because i was out in the middle of the woods for a few years before uh i moved back and i agree with you like you know i would i, I was kind of doing a thing like you were like i would come into the city like for a weekend like every once in a while yeah. and i did feel like i had a slightly healthier relationship with with working and doing stuff that I wanted to do, um, but then I also kind of went a little crazy. And I think that in a way that the city can, like, I think part of the reason, part of what brings you back to the city is it, it actually is nice to have the balance of like, all right, a little bit of this lifestyle and you know a taste of that lifestyle and you know. Yeah, no, I mean it's there's there's just like so many factors, you know. Like, I definitely. Like in in and and even more more in the past, like ro romanticized like the idea of New York. You know, like for me, like New York was like always this really exciting place where like anything could happen, and like you know, I, you would every night was like you know its own adventure, and like meeting other artists or meeting other people, and like you know getting fucked up and waking up or going to bed like at eight a.m. Like that was like fun, you know. And then, but even like. You know, when I graduated college, like the first thing I did was like move upstate, you know, so there was always like this thing where I wanted to sort of like escape that reality as well. And also, you know, once you're removed from it, it becomes so much more attractive again, 
you know, we're like, yeah. and that's like part of the thing that I was dealing with probably in the first years that being out here is that like the further I was and the longer I spent, the, the, the more I forgot like what, why I left. And then, so like, I'm, and then I would like go back into these like fits of rage and like totally like, you know, just like abuse myself and then come back like sort of with my tail in between my legs. And I think like, while all that's happening, you know, I feel like the world also like is going through all these sort of like crazy shifts that are like, I can't really control whether it be like, you know, social media and like internet and like how we communicate. And so like, in the way that like New York City is always changing, you know, like Fran Leibowitz said, like, you know, when you see something or love something in the city, like its days are now numbered, you know, like in the city is constantly evolving. And that's like this like nostalgia that you want to like sort of hold on to. It's also like going through the world's like also going through those same transformations. So it becomes like this thing where like you're sort of like spinning out of control, you know, yeah. like you think that like by being in the city or like is like slowing that down, but it's not you know, the world, like every time you go back, almost like I have this brother, he's, he's my half brother. He's, he's 10 now. And I see him a lot more than I used to. But when I, when we were separated, like I would only see him like every two or three years. And I would, you'd like notice the growth, you know, because there, there'd just be like these long periods of no contact. And then there's like so high contrast that right. like that almost happens in the way that I live now. It's like, every time I go back to the city, I'm like shocked by like how different it's changed and, and how, different the people are but really that that change is like naturally happening yeah the irony now is that like the city almost feels like it's it's devolving in a way like i think that it's it's as quiet and as like it, it almost mirrors like how i felt in the middle of the woods now like it, it feels very ghostly in a way yeah, that i actually lost, like it's like sort of like mecca allure right well the i center because like it's so like dispersed yeah a thing that i like about um post or not post but you know what i mean covid new york is well i i never really left the city since college because i i'm like really a city person i the idea of being in the country you like freaked me out i like uh like being around busyness and people i actually feel way more comfortable that way yeah um it's weird i'm not like a social butterfly compared to a lot of people or whatever but like well, yeah, it's I, interesting you said because I feel like people who aren't that are the people that are able to like really function in in New York. Right, but that, yeah, see, that's that's the thing is like I think um, you know I consider myself to some degree an extrovert, and I like being around uh, you know people and uh, busyness, uh, and I kind of enjoy interacting with people. So I thought I was kind of a social person in that way. But I don't like I don't know how much I was really getting out of my social life in New York now. And then I left once COVID started for a while. So I didn't have any money. Went to my parents for six months. Now that I'm back and kind of seeing uh, people in a kind of small groups and and a more kind of intimate social setting, like uh, you know going to a restaurant or something. I, I it's like kind of my ideal social life. I think I'm getting a, like I really enjoy any time I spend with anyone because it's it's never this kind of like a meaningless party night that kind of threw me into oh, yeah. this weird I mean, like existential yeah, loop like, of like why am I even doing this? You're never realize what you've lost till you lost it, sort of. Like. Yeah, but I, yeah, it's weird. I kind of feel like a, it's like the perfect balance for me personally. I don't know. And yeah, to talk about like my favorite times in New York, I, like I don't know if you guys were here for Sandy, but like that week period yeah, where there was yeah. like, low power, like that's like – 
the thing that I look back on it and like miss the most, you know, is like the city and it's sort of like bare bones state. And, right. and I feel like that's not really what's happening now. I feel like what's happening now is kind of like what I was explaining or I'd gone through is where you have these people that are like so badly wound up from all the stress and all the shit with the election and with the pandemic that like all they want to do is sort of like let out that steam, you know? And like, that's like kind of what it feels like to go through like three weeks of sobriety out here and then be like, Oh, I'm going to go to the city and like, go get fucked up you know and then and yeah. then you do and then you're and you sort of like left with this sort of like luring exhaustion slash hangover and i feel like that's like the state that i see the city in now is like when i the last time i was there it's just like it wasn't exciting you know it wasn't like fucked up for getting fun say it was like getting fucked up because like there's nothing else to do and we're all depressed sort of vibe which like was like kind of heavy for me to like to witness no, it's right. sort of like a depression and like you know people talk about like it going into the the roaring 20s after this which we're literally back in yeah yeah but it, it, i mean i don't know maybe i'm in kind of a lucky position because i think i'm one of the i mean i'm sure I, both of you are are probably similar like a, one of the rare personality types that is actually like really benefiting from and enjoying this and and got a lot out of quarantine like i've ha i've done more uh, creatively in 2020 than i have in years it's like a, yeah honestly, I mean, a really that's great like year for the, me. that's the ironic thing about it right is that it's sort yeah. of like accelerated a lot of stuff that like creatively we probably were all been holding on to or like we sort of like knew right like, and fast forwarding a lot of things i feel like totally but they like but i think people are getting so kind of depressed and um uh, I don't know, just existential because they're, they have to like come up with some new plan and they're like alone all the time. But I think everyone being in that mindset has actually given me much more meaningful interactions with everyone. Who yeah, I no, definitely. I mean, I, I joked about kind of in the beginning of this whole thing, like I, I was like really happy that people finally had to like sit down and like be with themselves for a second. Like the world totally. gets to go through an existential crisis together. I thought yeah. it was like the most, the healthiest psychological thing that could happen. You know, I think that yeah. like totally. before COVID, like, you know, New York just like really started to be really gross to me as far as like, just seemed like an outdoor shopping mall, you know, or like one big photo oh, yeah. op. And I think that like all that like influencer bullshit culture, like, I don't know if you guys know the guy, you know, Reza? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he goes on these rants but he's he's like right in a way you know like he, he went on this one about like in like instagram influencers that like just needed to be said or like I, I was like so happy that he had said it because it was just like it's really true it's like you know like half the people that we know are just like you know walking marketing like platforms for brands and like that's like literally what people do for a living and it's like at what point is that shit just like so irrelevant? And then there's like the shift of it, which is like, you know, the like identity politics and all this stuff that's going on right now with like, with with, with that and, and, and not that that's not important, but like, these are just like the two, like people can only live in like these like extreme situations, you know? And I think that like, once we make it out of this, we'll be able to find like something in the middle because like, as someone that like really is anti like, like, commercialism and like marketing and all this bullshit like i've started to understand like how that is necessary for like the world to go around you know because yeah. like it definitely is like affects like my livelihood as well you know and like what i can and cannot do and i think right. that, like, finding this sort of like medium 
in the middle is is what will come out of like all of this yeah in terms of like commercializing like your your own like working with a brand or something yeah, or it's just like even something as simple as art sales. You know, if the con- economy's down, no one's fucking buying art, which means that like I can't really do anything that I do. You know, and like right. as much yeah. as the, I don't really want to say I don't care about the economy or I don't play a role in it. Like that's just not true. And like so, like in a way, these these things are like all necessary evils. Right. Well, it, you see, I don't know how to feel about the like in the beginning of quarantine. I thought, oh well, uh, when this is all over. It's uh, we're going to enter this like a uh, new free love thing. Like everyone's going to be so happy to be back that it's just going to be like, uh, you know, free love and orgies in the street. And like everyone's going to be so happy and appreciative of each other. But now I, I now I don't know. I think a lot of people think like you're thinking it, it's going to it might make might have the opposite effect. It might make people feel way more every man for themselves and kind of like, uh, well, I have to take care of my own because I there's the, the resources are much more limited now um and I don't know I mean I feel like I kind of you kind of see that just in yeah all the identity politics stuff and like uh social media like um the rhetoric around all that kind of stuff after the protest people just everyone mad at each other about everything I was like this is this might be the direction it goes. This might be the most uh, divisive time ever. It might get more every man for himself and more capitalistic yeah. than ever. I, mean, when we come I, out I think that like, I don't think we can necessarily predict the swing, but I do think like in whichever way it does swing, you know, when you go so far to one pole, like the, there's always going to be that sort of adverse reaction where like, I think like no matter what is entailed, like the outcome is still the same. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah it is, is about moderation and it kind of speaks to like the addiction conversation earlier, just that like, or like with, with what you're talking about, like there's gotta be a median that's found. And I think people are, are less focused on, on, on medium or a middle ground or a golden mean, like people are, yeah, are very even, focused on extremes. Even during like the protests, you know, and there's this whole like sort of influx of like the social media norm to be like woke, you know, that like everywhere you look on an Instagram post, it's like some form of activism, which like clearly like isn't genuine. You know, it's like this. Exactly. It's like people afraid that it's going to. Yeah, exactly. Like justify or like join the herd and being like, oh, like, you know, I care about civil rights and, and, you know, and then and then that like dies out. And I think like that's the only dangerous thing, you know, like. For instance, there's a trend in art right now. Like I literally got a call from like a collector slash like dealer to be like, you know, you should like make art about like being black and like identity politics. Cause like, that's really popular right now. And like, you'll see, like, I, I think there was like art review published this like number one, like most powerful people in the art world. And number one is like the black lives matter movement. You know, like that's just like such bullshit. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> A, oh, yeah, Black Lives yeah. Matter movement isn't a person and B, like, no, the art world doesn't give a fuck about it. Like, in a way, like, it does because it's, like, you could get canceled, you know? Which is, like, exactly. Everyone's, like, afraid thing. and right. they're, like, it's saying what they think they're supposed to say. That, like, I don't even, like, have to, like, tippy-toe around, I guess. But, like, yeah, it's, 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 it's never good to be so far down one of those extremes. Yeah. And I think this we've is... seen that happen in both sides, you know, and... I mean, this is my kind of uh, confusion with um, the kind of obsession with identity in art. 
I mean, you could say that it's very easy for me to think this way because I'm like a white straight guy, so I don't need to see more of my or whatever. But in my mind, what is moving or affecting about art, any kind of art, and what makes the best art the best art is something that is totally not to sound like a hippie, but it's like cosmic. It's like it's outside of yourself. It's not human. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a, no, it's something I, I on this total. I hear you. I mean, it's like a higher plane. There's something, like, and it's it to me what the best art, any kind of art, uh, the way it hits me. I'm not me in the way that it hits me. It's it's on a totally higher plane of consciousness. The way I, you connect yeah, with something. I definitely agree. I I think that you know. It's a little bit like upsetting to me sometimes when I get emails from kids that are like, yo, like, how do I make it as an artist? You know, because right. like, I think these are, these are like ideals or like aspirations that like are completely like superficial and, and they come from living in such a like materialistic world, you know, that totally. like yeah. people and younger artists think that like, if you have a lot of money or people are buying your work, that it's necessarily now you're making good art, you know, like yeah. it doesn't, that, that, that's like not true. And I think that, um, we can move out of that and i think we will and you know like i'm just starting even now in, in like the last like year to understand like the purpose of art in in our civilization our society and like and like my purpose as an artist but yeah um like for instance we were talking about these sort of like market trends right and how like identity politics right now is like really desirable like that's a good thing in a way because like yeah like black artists are getting money or and 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 that's great for them but like all trends like those bubbles will burst you know and right. so like what happens to all these artists that sort of get these accelerated careers and it's kind of like what happened to me but like i never made work about my identity because like i've never really lived a life where i've had to like be cherished or be handicapped by that you know i've always just yeah. tried to like live separate from like what my race was. And I think like being an artist allowed me to sort of like transcend those boundaries. Exactly, so like I would exactly. never want to make work about being confined by those same boundaries. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And I think that we're, we're, we're moving in some way, in some form of direction out of it. But um, yeah, like as far as like, you know, like you could ask someone like the, the most popular artists right now are like cause and Banksy, you know, do I think cause and Banksy are like the greatest living artists? No, definitely not. But like, if you, if you live or you, you make art within those parameters that like the more money and the more gallery and the more exposure and more fan base that you have makes you a great artist. then then yeah, you live in a world where cause and Banksy are the greatest living artists alive, but that's just like not true to me. Right. And I think, uh, uh I, I think what you're, what you're talking about this kind of uh, drive to uh, sell and this drive to kind of carve out a capital niche within whatever art you're making uh, I think that has a lot to do with the kind of obsession with identity because if you make art about your identity you're kind of carving a market for yourself like uh, uh, yeah. these these people will buy what I do because I'm making it for them you know what I'm saying uh, and that's the kind of weird part of the identity and art that uh doesn't gel for me yeah i mean for me i've like when i was talking about like discovering the purpose of art like what i for, and and it's like a journey for me you know like i probably will still not have arrived at this answer until like you know the, the my last breath but 
I'm starting to understand, at least for me, my inclination to want to make art is to sort of like leave historical breadcrumbs, you know, or artifacts behind that, like, say, you know, we like the royal we like we we were here you know and like if yeah, people yeah, yeah. are alive right now can identify with the art that i'm making it represents that group you know it's like it's like leaving these clues for the people in the future or for whatever or just like you know from the yeah. like earliest cave marking of you know putting a handprint on a wall like totally to say that like you know we exist now and like and, that's never been like something that i've wanted or necessarily felt the urge to do and as i'm becoming older it is. And so that being said, it's like, there's good art, right? Like visually there's art that people are gravitate to, or there's like music that like, you know, people can relate to. And like, you're rewarded in a sense for like that relatability of the more, the more people like gravitate towards the, your voice or the more like ground you cover, you know, the, the more effective or, or effective your art is. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I think good art, and the art market, because because there's so much like market manipulation within the institution, as far as like, you know, collectors donating art to museums that like those lines are so blurred, like artists today, like don't know the difference, you know, like artists today will trace the trends to satisfy that sort of like demand for whatever whatever is trending in 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 art sales at the time which like yeah. seriously disrupts the like fabric of like what should be be ma being made right now you know what I, I mean yeah i think that's that's also very true in movies like mo like movies in the film industry is something that's very dictated by like market trends and uh the cult of personality and just like whatever's whatever is cool at the moment and i think it's important for because i know like people who listen to this a lot of them are like young uh aspiring filmmakers is um and you know people are getting festival results right now um and i think it's worth saying that like if, if you didn't yeah. get into one of these festivals you are not a, a failure it means and, and yeah. time time might tell like you might be like the opposite of a failure you might make something that well, actually is well, important well that's the, the thing it's like i think that also separates different kinds of artists you know like there are the artists that are willing to die with at chasing the thing they 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 believe in and not getting any rec rec recognition or the artists that like need the recognition in their lifetime you know like if you look at like van gogh you know like his brother was the only person really collecting his art until he died you know and now he's considered one of the greatest artists so there's like that there's that decision you have to make to like you know almost like put aside your ego yeah. And, yeah. and that's like a really difficult decision. Yeah, I, you know, I battle with that all the time because like, you know, obviously in some way or another, we want recognition, you know, in our lifetime. And as, as like, as like response and communication and social media and all these things sort of like speed up our interactions, like, of course, we're going to want that now. Like, why wouldn't we, if other people have that now, you know? Um, yeah. And that goes, to, and yeah, I definitely see the parallels there with film and not just like, from from a directing standpoint but also from like a production and as a viewer you know like i was listening to this podcast that we host it girl theory and they were talking about like timothy chalamet and how like like why the fuck is this kid getting cast in dune or like all these movies and like these like literary roles even though like he doesn't really have that much of a career behind them and it's because like that kid sells tickets you know what i mean like your movie becomes exponentially more popular when you cast him yeah, and the cult of the personality of Timothy Chalamet and how famous he is like that's yeah. the market right and this is I mean 
I might be kind of off with this, or maybe it's like a slightly, I don't know, maybe I'm being too, I'm generalizing too much. Maybe it's a bit prejudiced or something, but to me, and I, I can't speak to the fine art world, but from my experience in the music industry and the film industry, it seems to be everyone, like most middlemen, like people at festivals who decide what gets in people at uh, music publications who decide what really gets pushed and what gets reviewed have such a different relationship to the art than the person, than the average uh, consumer or whatever. And it seems like uh, there's like this artist trying to talk to this audience and in between, and, and in order to do that, they have to be uh, platformed by these middlemen who just are not, experiencing the art in the right way they're thinking about it in yeah. terms of yeah identity and in terms of uh you know right, how it can sell moments. no I exactly mean, that's and that that exists definitely in the art world as well you know where it's like you have these dealers and these artists and these collectors that sort of like bogart you know what gets written about what gets shown and like yeah. that really like decapitates any sort of like underground movement but then at the same time like even the upper echelons of the art world are so dying to be like cool and underground that eventually you have like a movement that's like so rebellious that like they're like, oh yeah, this was our idea to begin with, you know, and it gets like totally cherished. And then like those people like leading that underground movement like are so in, in, in intoxicated with like the celebrity of it that they forget the like original movement and like, you know, become the 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 in crowd of the art world, you know, like almost uh, no, like absolutely. And that's the, and like, again, I don't, I don't like generalizations at all. So I'm not saying if you're, you know, no, but a, it, I a critic, like, you have, it's definitely like something that exists. And yeah, I, I think the goal there, you know, and like this speaks a lot to like what I'm, what I've been trying to do with STP is like sort of like get rid of that middleman, you know, like I think we live exactly. in a time now where like we have so many digital resources that like there's no excuse to not have an audience if you're making something, you know, worthwhile. Yeah, th that's why, th that's kind of, and this goes back to what I was saying with kind of uh, the risk that when COVID's over, everyone's gonna be more every man for himself. I think the kind of uh, immediate thing that anyone listening to this can do is like put on for people that and stuff that you are into and put on for your friends. That's the best way to beat this, this kind of weird culture where you're where you have these uh these middlemen that don't understand what you're trying to say at all put on for your friends make it exist um yeah no make, it's just there's been like such a, a cultural like shift in the paradigm between like what like who the tastemakers are you know like back in the 80s like it was like jeffrey deitch and gallerists that like were were trying to to find their way into underground New York parties to discover artists and musicians, right. you know, whereas like now it's like kids like are looking at Zwerner and like MoMA and like those things to like tell them about like art being made today or like the Whitney Biennial, like there could be nothing more like irrelevant in America than the Whitney Biennial. Yeah, really. that's what, you know what I mean? This is it's what I'm saying, like, like uh, if, okay, if you, we were just talking, me and I number two were just talking about this. If you took artists, musicians, filmmakers, whatever, the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever decade, and said, what if you didn't have to go through uh, the distribution company, the label, the, what if you had a, you could be like laying in your bed and you had a button that could get what you're doing into everybody's homes instantly. Yeah. 
and you would and they would say, oh, of course, that's the dream. Uh, that can never happen, though. Now that yeah. is how it works. But somehow we're more beholden to kind of middlemen and uh, cultural overlords than ever. Like, uh, look at the music industry. It's like so completely decimated by streaming. Uh, when the internet could have been and should have been the best uh, independent like DIY revolution that exists for music. Somehow uh, it's like more impossible than ever to make music. It's You can make a music video very easily. It used to be a thing that required six figures and it needed yeah. a perfect song well, that had to go with well, it that, that could sell. I think it's like a thing none of that's curation, right? And I think it's a thing. And, and like that, that's like kind of a really interesting notion, something that like I am definitely still trying to wrap my head around, which is that like, yeah, it definitely should have made the world a better place, but maybe because like everyone is looking for their 15 minutes of fame in the same way that like when Kurt Cobain like picked up a guitar and got an MTV, like there was just like exponentially so many more kids now that wanted to play guitar because like they wanted to emulate what they saw. And like, because like it's so easy now to like just say like I'm an artist or I'm a musician that you have like this, right. this much larger pool of influx of just like people, you know, that like, it's impossible for us to like sift through it. And like, obviously they're always going to be like these breakouts, you know, like Justin Bieber's or something that just like put a YouTube video up that goes viral, you know? And like, I think yeah. that like the world is so concerned with like recognition, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, yeah, like Jimi Hendrix didn't have to fucking go to Columbia records or wherever. Like he could have just recorded a song and uploaded it to YouTube. But like, in the, in the world that we live in today, if the next Jimi Hendrix did that, like it's still a roll of the dice, you know, if that's going to catch on, which I guess right. Ben talks about like, like, I don't know. Yeah. Just like FaceTime, you know, like the amount of times, like is, are the great films that have been made really great films? Or are they great, great films because they've been made? And like, you know, that's, that's what we have to, to, to look at, look at. Well, I think another problem is that, uh, the more, uh, easily accessible connecting to other people on the internet is the kind of less meaning it has. Like, uh, again, yeah, it, it's from just a, things have become diluted. Right. Well, so there's a, a, I mean, again, we talk about this every episode, uh, but this is a different interview. There's a Gallo interview I was listening to recently where he's talking about how the audience is as important uh, as the artist. The reason scenes and uh, different, uh, you know, art scenes and, and music scenes and whatever, and, and New York City scenes, the reason all these things existed and were uh, kind of as important and uh, impactful as they were is because they grew an audience that existed kind of organically and in a physical space with an artist that bands could keep playing the same clubs every week and they would grow with the audience and the audience kind of followed yeah. them it was a it was more communal in that way even though it was obviously harder to connect than it is now with the internet is um that kind of uh physical space you know growing together thing uh that's what you lose when you're on the internet so i think that kind of has something to do with this this problem um yeah but why. then you have movements like you know like soundcloud rap for for instance you know that yeah, like yeah. really just became this thing and it became this thing like on the internet and like in a way like you know from someone that's like trying to push like a digital platform so hard like i definitely try to mimic some of those lessons you know that are that totally. we learned in, in the physical world i don't think that 
I, I think that you can, you can service and create and have a community online. Um, but I do hear you with what you're saying that like, it is these movements, you know, and I do yeah. agree with, with, with that statement that, that the audience and the viewer is equally as important as the person making the art. There's like this, uh, Dave Hickey wrote this book, Guitar Hero, and, and there's this section in it where, where Jimmy Buffett basically is like saying like, there's a bunch of people in the room, one person has the microphone or is on stage, everyone's drinking and having like the same amount of fun. Right. You yeah. know, and, right. and I think we live in a world where like a lot of people want to be that person with the microphone. Exactly. With like what, how we see that, but mm -hmm. what they don't realize is that like, and like, I've had to like always, like one of the things that like I say to myself all the time um, is that like reminding myself that like I might not be the guy with the microphone. You know what I mean? And yeah. Like, Totally. I have to like be willing to enjoy like in whatever position absolutely I take in that room. Right. But no, but just I mean no, I would I I do agree with you that it is possible uh in the on an internet platform. I'm I'm a huge proponent of you know using the internet uh in that way and I think it's totally possible. I just mean I think it might not be maybe as natural as uh or or it's not the kind of inclination like it was pre-internet so i think it requires a little extra work um but i absolutely think it's possible and i think it should be the aspiration uh and i'm, I'm a huge proponent of that and i think that's really important well yeah. i think that's what's always yeah beautiful about like the internet is that like the internet to me growing up was always like the first underground or like the the it was like the first piece of fringe culture that i had ever experienced and i think it does provide an outlet for people who I mean, before COVID could, could not exist in the framework of like how to make your stuff go off in reality, but they could like take to online and make a name for themselves there. And now we're in a position where like the internet kind of is, is the reality and sort of is the, the physical world now because everything is so shut down. But to me, the internet has always been uh, a place where you can find an underground almost more easily than you can in physical reality anymore. And that dates back to like, you know, the, the fucking millennium switch. I felt that like, yeah. I've always felt like, you know, the internet is where it's at. It's also, it's also just so young, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, I, I mean, like we're having people being born today that like, you know, we're born or people, you know, like we're starting to communicate with people who've had internet their whole lives, you know what I mean? Which yeah. is a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. Totally. But in the in the in the broader sense, like social media is so like relatively new. Like even with that that doc that came out, I don't know, I forget what it's called. That like questions a lot of like, you know, some of the fears that we we should maybe be thinking about as far as like how it affects us socially. Right. Like, I don't know. I was a part of like I remember Facebook. You know, like I remember Facebook being like so sick and like so important, and then like it just wasn't one day. Yeah, I know. I that actually freaks me out because I realized. Um, like, uh, yeah, because we're the same age. So, yeah, Facebook was obviously the main thing even maybe six years ago. And that was when we were throwing parties and that was the main way we... Communicate or like exactly. documented any yeah, of that. It was all and then, Facebook. but then you once, know, and, and once so the thing Facebook... thing that scares me is that like, you know, even I remember when Instagram came out, I was kind of like when I had gone over Facebook and I was like, oh, kinda, I was kind of like late to Instagram. You know, I was just like, yeah, whatever, fuck that. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't need to like be like 
on something all the time. I'd rather like be concerned with like what's going on in my my life. Yeah. And now I'm kind of at the point where like I I kind of understand. I'm starting to understand more and more how useful social media can can be as far as like this this like facade or just this storefront for like a part of my identity you know like i've definitely like used instagram for years now you know but in a sense it's only like making it's only like its value is only being presented to me now but the scary thing is that like you know even if instagram has that moment which i don't think i think like they're just too up on it now where like as soon as they start to notice like a decline they'll just like embed another feature that like hooks us you know in the way that like you know, when, yeah. when Snapchat or whatever came along and everyone's like, oh, I'm using Snapchat now. Like Instagram just like shut that down. You know what I mean? They're just like, right. oh, we'll just well, add like stories now. Yeah. Well, that's what freaked me like out this, about it. They just like got you. You know what I mean? So it's but, like, I mean, think about it. That, Once that Facebook scares the shit out of me. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's intertwined so much in like what I do and this tool for marketing that like the trade off is worth the like negative effects it could be having yeah i mean it's free like that's what i'm saying once facebook bought instagram before you realized it, everyone in our you know age group demographic all switched over to instagram that was uh that was orchestrated for sure i don't know yeah. how it happened none of us noticed it happening it just it just did happen it that realizing that that happened once facebook bought instagram so it decided it clearly it, it's a thing was now we're going to make instagram the young thing and facebook's for boomers once that the fact that they can just decide that and it somehow was uh put into reality is very freaky <laughs> well i yeah. think that like it's all about like where are the new ideas on the internet being presented and like originally exactly. it was like message boards myspace then it was facebook facebook groups and now yeah. instagram has like you might it, it starts to feel corporate now with like the shopping section and everything but like there's accounts like trevor memes Brazil, which are yeah. presenting us with new things well, I really do believe, and I think the point that I was stressing that like the internet or social media is still relatively new, the exciting thing is that it still really is like the wild, wild west. Yes. You know, yeah. like, there's still so much room for innovation and like rebellion and like to use it, you know, in a way that services like maybe the underground, like more than we think. And it's like, it's like saying like, you know, I could, I wish I could go back to like settler period and fucking just discover a bunch of gold, you know, or get like totally. a, a huge mine or like, I wish I could go back and buy Bitcoin at like two cents. You know, like yeah. I think that like the internet and social media and, 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 and why like my interests not only lie in art, but like in building like digital communities and like thinking about how to create, you know, a, yeah. a social landscape based on the platforms that are available and use them in sort of punk rock way. Um, you know, like that's really fun for me um, and, and where I see like my interest as like a digital artist or whatever, an innovator, um, you know, that's something that like keeps me awake at night is like the fact that like it is relatively new landscape and there is like a bunch of shit that can still be done with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think, uh, I don't know, I feel like uh, we've probably touched on this before, but I think uh, because so many things and so much information is so easily accessible now it's very easy to look up and and read about and immerse yourself in all of your heroes and how it was all done previously and try to emulate uh but now more than ever you should not be emulating so it's kind of uh, yeah. it, it can trap you more easily but you have to get out of that 
Well, to me, like we have like a Discord now, and Discord to me is like the newest, like freshest, like engagement with like a digital world that I've felt. And like I feel like I'm a grandpa using it, but like having all of these people throw out ideas and links and all of these different like you know sections of the server and like everybody constantly communicating, you can start talking. It's like it's the most like direct form of of communication that i've experienced since aim in a way it's like kind of the same thing or a message board like it's they're all yeah. mirrors no i mean other. i for and i want to check out discord more because like for a second like i was really into reddit you know i i like started buying or started like making subreddits for like museums and stuff in hopes to like sell them back to them right. because i really thought that like reddit was like it's like a consumer hotline, you know, or customer service. It's like the most immediate way you can like take like the Game of Thrones Reddit, for instance, right? Like as a producer, you can monitor like the audience's like visceral response to like like shit that you're putting on the show, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and they're yeah. be able to like like have that alter future programming and future episodes, and like maybe maybe Reddit is like has too much of a stigma to become that, but a platform like that, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you know, I'm sure like NBC or, you know, HBO or whatever, if, if, if like Game of Thrones has an Instagram, I'm sure there's not anyone like going to, on the Instagram and looking at the comments, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. when you have like a Discord or something like that, like that's an opportunity for you to like really engage with your audience and be able to like, take analytics from that not just like number analytics but like testimonials and feedback well yeah in a micro way like we're engaging with the discord and like okay they want to see an episode with this person and that's and that yeah. affects us because and it's that, like well it's for them that's like huge like imagine like in you know imagine like back in the day being able to like call mtv you know and alter like yeah. what happened on beavis and butthead that's yeah. sick you know like yeah and, and that creates like programming that's tailored in a way or that like people want to watch right because like they want everyone wants to see themselves in whatever it is that they're they're viewing or listening to you know that's why like music is popular because people find a bit of their soul in that art you know so obviously a more immediate and literal way to do that is to allow an audience to in some way interact it's like why they have laughing like as a sound bit on like TV shows, you know, that are filmed in studios because you have this sort of like immediate interaction. It, it gives it life in a way. Right. Yeah. I also like that. And this is definitely the case on some subreddits too, but especially on discord, um, it becomes not even necessarily about what the theme of the discord is, which it like our ion pack discord. There's all these different, um, threads with people talking about music and clothes it's, it's just like these people have all met and become friends and yeah, are based on kind something of that they have forming in a community right. exactly based on something they have in common but then they're just like uh talking there as friends there's a there's a girls chat where you're sending pictures of girls it's uh it's uh you know it's a really sick <laughs> it's really sick it's uh, it also reminds me of what i first liked about the internet when i was first using like, it in the early like 2000s Porch and slash b yeah, yeah, exactly. Which just but became it, like a just like fucking frappening, but but yeah. the idea that a feed that is just constantly evolving and you know whatever popular topics sort of rise to the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, it reminds me of like uh, message boards and things that I loved in the early 2000s. That <laughs> kind of uh, yeah, the thing that's sick about those that is accelerated and it's in real yeah. time. Like it, it is, it's a more modernized version of of the message board. Like these are all refinements of things that we grew up with. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. And I, I think for me, like the problem that I have as far as when building sort of platforms is that I sometimes fall victim to like trying to to recreate older systems because of the nostalgic value and not necessarily think about it in a more innovative way and just like sort of take from those things little mini lessons to create something like larger you know like part of me really loves the idea of like a photo blog you know i used to love looking at photo blogs because of the delay you know like because in the same way like facebook like you can't wait to go on there like on monday and and look at the week your weekend whereas like instagram it like just innovated that to the point where it's like happening in real time. And so like, you know, as much as I like want to recreate like a platform that has image blogs, like the the use for that might be just outdated, you know, and might only have a sort of like kitsch nostalgic purpose at this point. Right. Right. Well, I think that's, and I think this is, this can be applied to all art. I think, um, okay. Say you make music and you really, I've probably said this before. But say you make music and you really like uh, synth pop from the 80s. Now, you could very easily just recreate those sounds. You could get the synths and make the same sounds. But that's uh, not what made that music great. What made it great was the relationship that those artists had to that technology at the time and the way that they used it to enhance uh, their song craft, right? So I, I think the best way to kind of uh, try to develop yourself as an artist is to find those past eras and past things that you like and try to get the essence, try to get the relationship that they had with their own uh, craft. Yeah. yeah, and the technology and the tools that they had to, to make their craft. Think about the way, what made that work and try to take that as opposed to taking the kind of uh, signifiers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And bringing it back to film, like I think that there, that this really exists in film is where like people are still trying to kind of fit into this very old school model of you need to raise money, you need to write a script, you need to raise money, you need to produce the movie, you need to get that into a festival, hopefully get it bought, and then start your career. It's like I really don't believe that that's that's going to stick around for that long. Like that'll exist in some way, but like we've got we've got the fucking internet, and we can all show each other what we've been making like immediately. Like there's so much ground to build like new structures and new platforms to how we do this. Like that's that's how Hollywood wanted to run it. Like we can do it, we can do it however we want now. Yeah, and I think that this is this goes with what we always and we joke about, but why we say digital is good. Uh, I think uh, obviously there is something aesthetically nice about you know film and these kind of old like tape for music and these old technologies because they it's the just the kind of uh, aesthetic that we're used to and and think is uh, just kind of viscerally pleasing, but. It's it's an amazing thing that you can make a movie for way cheaper now with a digital camera. Like uh, that should be taken advantage of to its fullest extent. Yeah, well, that's that's something that's I think really exciting about what's going on right now, and like kind of the only thing that I've been able to like take um, away from like basically losing a feature film deal at this point. You know, like I've been working on something for like so long, and like the production company that I've worked on pretty much like I don't even know if it exists anymore because just like independent cinema is just like as you guys probably know is just taking a huge hit 
Yeah, and I film think, in general is taking a huge hit. Yeah, and I think that's like so good though because it's great. Like you, like you said, like a movie can be. I could make a movie if I really wanted to on my fucking iPhone. You know what I mean? And like what you have is like a bunch of like independent filmmakers that like are still attached to these sort of like really wasteful production models. You know, where like they need to have mm-hmm. like this amount of members on the crew and like all this shit. Where it's like, Such I think, a waste. yeah, I think like the the most innovative art not just film is made with like because of like circumstance you know like i've always said to people who like hit me up they're like oh like i want i want to paint but like i don't know like how to paint or what to start it's just like for me the best art i've ever made has just been made with like whatever i have around me that i can use to like scrounge together to like portray whatever it is that i'm trying to, to make at the time right you know, like give me too much stuff i end up getting lost in the material so like thinking about people and like future generations, the generation now, and even myself, like, you know, going back to the drawing board, like, okay, how can I make this movie for like 10 grand? Yeah. Like, how can yeah. I make a feature for 10,000? And you can. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I, I mean, that makes, that makes the film so much better because not only is it pushing the limits on like what I can do, it's also speaking to the time that we live in, you know? And I think like that is equally as important. Yeah, and the time that we live in isn't like asking someone for a million dollars and wasting all, like the film world is so obsessed with resources and having as much as possible. And that's like not the stuff of good art in, in yeah, any it's medium. Like, have you seen that like Tom Cruise rant that he ran on recently about like yeah. Mission Impossible fucking yeah. 20 or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I get in a in a way like I understand where he's coming from, you know, as far as he's like, you know, this is an industry and like we're giving thousands of people jobs. And like, I don't know, but like that microphone and like what he's saying, I think is like too perfectly placed that I can't help but think that like that whole thing is just fucking staged to like make him look like a good guy like advocating for film and like how important film is you know but you're you're, you're very right about that that could very easily have yeah. been a like yeah on purpose but it's almost like it's almost like so like i don't know i almost like am so blown away by the fact that like they really think that like a fucking hundred million dollar mission impossible 20 movie is like important in today you know and the only way that you can justify that is by saying like we're giving we're jobs jobs yeah for people yeah, yeah which I is mean, like that not... there's a tr- there is a there's a truth to like the film industry creating jobs in that way but at the same time like that that's based off of this model that like you you literally did need to have that that size crew and that amount of money to make a movie back in the day and you don't anymore and exactly. the, the industry should adjust to that that model it's the new model Exactly. That's this is this. I think this goes back to what I was saying about uh, an obsession now because it's more accessible with reading about how things were done and being obsessed with doing it the same way, which is so uh, counterproductive. Like I was just on a message board reading about uh, some album that, uh, like, how it was made, and it was a bunch of people being like, "It's so sad. Like the industry has so little money now. Like a, a new artist would never be given this much money." Uh, would never be given this much of a budget to make a record, so like it couldn't make a record like this. Uh, and it's true that they would never be given a, a new artist, would never be given a budget like that. 
but it's not true that they couldn't make a record like that. It's not true at all. It's like you, you can make a record like that yourself now, which is a, it's an amazing thing. But that's like uh, doesn't connect for a lot of people for some reason. It's too much responsibility for a lot of people when they when they do narrativize things based off of how they read and things. You know, if they're reading about their favorite record or movie or something, they want to emulate that. Like that's the narrative in their head. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, exactly. like all directors, I don't. I mean, not all, but most, including myself. Like you don't want to be on a lift with like a Panavision. You know, like that. Like sounds cool and like yeah, it costs a ton of money. But like, you know, you kind of have to just like bypass that like childhood dream of yours to like see you know what contemporary filmmaking tools are today yeah that actually doesn't right. sound cool to me and like kind of never did like i thought the movies <laughs> themselves were cool like i think it's cool to to do it the opposite way in the punk way with not necessarily a phone but like whatever the fuck you have to film it with and and if you like what's cool to me is like how people figured it out it's like you know everybody's obsession with with cassavetes it's that they're actually on point because cassavetes was someone who figured out how to fucking force these things into existence which is way cooler to me than having a fancy set with good catering like i don't give a fuck yeah. I mean, what do you guys think about Brown Bunny? I was watching that the other day. Oh, no, sorry, Buffalo 66, and kind of like diving back into films that I thought, you know, were bare bones. And like, and I mean, they're, they're expensive. I mean, they are, they were expensive movies by nature of, I think, time, mostly yeah. to do with the fact that they were shot on film. Like, that's back yeah. to the necessity of like, you know, there was not really digital filmmaking at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, we both, uh, but one of each of our favorites that movie but um yeah it's this weird thing i mean obviously it looks amazing on film uh and if you're obsessed with the way that looks and you want to do it like i i understand yeah but also like i mean i just shoot digital and capture yeah that's film. uh like, that's what I, I that's how i feel i mean uh i also think um i also love the the way different eras and different decades aesthetics you know through art and music and film I love that different decades have different aesthetics. I think it uh, is a really interesting way to look at it, culture, and I, that's why I think you should be striving to make something that is very 2020, something yeah, that- Yeah, to your time. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. something the, the, that- As will, artists, uh, I feel like a lot of artists in, in whatever form, in, in music and film and, and, and painting, fall victim sometimes to nostalgia you know like there are definitely Absolutely. a lot of artists today that like want to be warhol or want to emulate the 80s you know and a musician's the same um yep. and i think that it goes for film you know like obviously there's that nostalgic component to it where it's like we all want to make like a, a film movie in a way but you know those movies were being made at the time with those cameras when those tools just like you're talking about the the instruments that the electronic musicians are using it's because like it was just what was around at the time exactly Exactly, and uh, you—it's it, uh, you. I—you should be thinking about um, how it's going to have the place it's going to occupy in history. I think, and uh, if it's a kind of a mess of nostalgia, uh, it's not going to. Yeah, it gets lost. Have legs. No yeah, exactly. Significance. It, it has no place in time. Yeah, exactly. Something cool that I saw that's worth bringing up here is that I thought was like pretty punk was like in the midst of, I think it came out maybe like 2016, this movie, The Human Surge was shot on like a very, a pretty cheap black magic pocket camera and they edited the whole movie digitally and then they projected the final edited film and then just filmed that on a couple reels of 16 millimeter and then released the movie as like the print version. It was just sort of yeah, like, here's like, the aesthetic the, you guys are looking for. Yeah, that's the film capture, right? 
Yeah. I mean, like when I first, I mean, I'm sure that's been used like for as, as far as digital has gone back with as a film medium. But um, I remember Cyprian Gillard, this French artist, would make all these like amazing videos and he would shoot them on his iPhone and then he would just capture them to 16 millimeter and they looked amazing. Yeah. It's just like you, we don't need to waste the entire recording on processing and developing film anymore. Like we've, we've yeah. progressed beyond the point of the necessity to do that. It's a waste of money. It actually is. I, exactly. I think that there's a responsibility that comes with making a movie specifically because they are so expensive that like that. I don't think all of them like, yeah, when you talk about a mission impossible movie or like, I mean, tenants really cool, but like, it's like $400 million movie. It's like yeah. it's kind of a waste of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also all of your favorite filmmakers, uh, a lot of them, at least, probably would have killed to be able to do digital. It's probably it, like it would solve all their problems. I know, definitely true for older musicians. I know they musicians yeah. of past eras would have killed for a laptop. It's like uh, <laughs> you, you should be taking advantage of this stuff. It's amazing that it's that accessible. I mean, yeah, it mirrors the conversation that we were having earlier, as far as like musicians would would kill to have the ability to to immediately produce yeah. music without a record label and put that in front of, of, a, of a listener yeah it's i mean it's it's like uh, the power should be in artist hands yeah you, you know i heard something else. really my therapist told me the other day solving today's tools solving today's problems with today's tools yeah, yeah. totally yeah. And yeah. making today's art with today's yeah, I think there's this perspective yeah. that like so, like social media and like new technology that they're like cheap instruments or that they're not valid instruments and like the old instruments are the right ones. Well, yeah, I, nostalgia holds such a like aesthetic goal like advantage over us, you know, yeah. because we can relate to it in a way, and, and sometimes we're afraid or we don't identify with with the technology or the the quality of, of the new until it's until it's old. Right. I I also think there's probably some kind of subconscious esteem that a lot of artists think, uh, like the bigger the production, the more of a serious artist they are. You know what I mean? Like a, uh, if you have a giant crew, your film is yeah. more legit. If you're in an in a like a real well, studio, you're more about, legit. Like, the musician. camera, the camera, like uh, fetish is that like? Yeah, totally. You know, yeah, having the bigger, better camera or the bigger budget like makes you take something or feel like what you're making is like more significant. Mm -hmm. But like at the same time, like Maurizio Canelon, like taping that banana to the art fair, you know, like I think mm -hmm. that speaks volumes. Like I fucking hate shit like that, but I think that like it does point out something that like if you spend so much time like abiding by the system or trying to live by these rules, like it just makes it easier for like someone like a someone of a rebellious nature to like turn that whole thing on its head right yeah. like, do you want to be the person that like does a lot with very little or does like very little with a lot exactly that's a good good way of putting it wow yeah, yeah. i mean uh yeah and i think the major takeaway is uh uh yeah use tools for your advantage and put on for uh, anyone that you can. Well, what happens now is that like the only enemy in any artist's life becomes himself at this point because there's there's no excuse really. Yeah, there's uh, less yeah. excuses to be made to like like the, you know the means of a production. Than yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, you're definitely always going to be your worst enemy, but it, but it's 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 like the 
it's the expectations and the like accolades and the sort of like inner that that are set by like your surroundings you know and like the superficiality of the world that it is today that you sort of have to like overcome those notions or those barriers to like shed the fat you know I, I always say that like my favorite whenever I make anything like and I don't do this enough is like try to really take away anything that isn't necessary yeah yeah you know and I think that like a lot of a lot of people today, like, you know, some, some of the best things I've ever made are like the most simplistic ideas, you know? And, and like, and I think that like is the only, or like the only advice I could ever give at this point in my life to like another artist in, in making whatever they do is like, just make it pu- as pure as possible and fuck yeah. purity. But like, you know what I mean? Like, no, I do. Don't convolute I, it with, with anything that's well, not necessary. Cause you're just distracting. Exactly. Well, but to that point, I think, uh, like, uh, I number two, you're saying there's less excuses. I that's true, but I think the major roadblock now is access. I think uh, access is actually uh, harder than ever because there's less money in all the industries, and um, uh, it feels like more than ever, critics and middlemen don't really understand what's going on. They're looking for the right uh, things that check the right boxes to sell. So yeah, I but think their model that, is outdated, and like their structures that they're working in, and the gate, gates that they're keeping, like those those buildings are, are exactly. But know? but that's what I'm saying. The problem is, I think uh, what Lucian was saying about purity. I think that that's where a lot of artists compromise purity to try to sell uh, because it's hard, and they're they're trying to get access, and uh, that's the problem. And that's the. The only, there is a big solution to that problem. Well, and that's, yeah, uh, I think making that's it happen like yourself on social media. Who do you make art for, right? You make it yeah. for for the for the person living in the exact moment that you are making it, or you're making it for the person that's going. You know, there's like always a delay. Yeah. Sense, and so like I think that the the thing we're talking about is like being brave. You know, like going totally. against what may necess- might not necessarily be accepted or popular at the time. You know. In mm-hmm. hopes that it, it in in a way becomes innovative, and you know, I guess you just have to have like that confidence in what it is that you're making. That like, when it is perceived, when it is digested, it'll be seen as something. But again, like, I think that's also getting too caught up in like, you know, expectations. And just like, if you believe, you know, like in something so much, and you're devoting your time, your life to making it, then it's like, it doesn't matter, you know. And then good art will always like hopefully in 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 an ideal world like prevail i i yeah. agree and I, but i think uh, in order for that to happen um people artists should uh should really have no expectation about um how to get or have no plan on how to get it out there they should get it out there any way they can and um and, and think about doing it yourself as opposed to selling it to a middleman. And as a fan yeah. of art, you should be, um, you should s- support shit that you're into and uh, not just um, look for what's given to you. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it comes back to the audience is just as important exactly. as the artist. Exactly. It's the audience's responsibility just as much as the artist to like cultivate and sustain that community and not exactly. fall to easily just like exactly or or acknowledging films that are like 
commercially produced. Right. And what and what you said before is true. It's important for all artists to not kind of uh, just identify as an artist, that you should also think of yourself as just as much the audience as the artist. And uh, that's what I mean by support and put on for other things like identify as an audience member as much as an artist, because that's just as important. I guess that means we got to do film screening for now. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) it's happening as soon as we can. We've been thinking about we've been thinking about doing like a film festival where we because of like the overlap and like all the like sort of like restraints on on people submitting films to short film festivals or whatever that like the the streaming rights that like we go and just like we've done in the past like hand select films that have already been sort of like established or entered into festivals as our programming and like i don't know if you guys remember like apple insomnia you remember that thing no no. Apple used to do this thing where like on one night they would give they would give like a list of 10 things that you had 24 hours to make a movie that had like at least oh, 10. Oh yeah. And then you'd have to like send it off to them like, oh, yeah. hours later and then that w- and then that was the contest. Right. And so I was thinking about like bringing that back and doing a sort of like Oh yeah, that's um, sick. Yeah. Maybe we maybe we like lengthen the period of time like maybe you have a week to make the film. Right. You know, it's yeah. already hard, you know, to do anything in today's world, given the constraints. But like, if you have a week to make a movie with like certain parameters, like you could just come up with like really interesting content. And we got like BNH that wants to sponsor it. So we could like, you know, you make, you know, you get like a 5D or like a red camera if you like, and the, we like choose filmmakers that are on the panel or whatever. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's sick. I I also love I love constraints. I think they're the best. Yeah. What is that? What's that? Lars Van Trier's the the eight obstructions. Like the ninety five shit. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Damn. Yeah. There's no. I think uh, I think uh, restrictions are are the best best thing for any artist. How did you find a solution? So true. <laughs> uh, fuck. Was it, it was Luca? No. I feel like Luca, or I guess Grant must have, must Grant. have like been up on it. Grant, Grant started it all, yeah. I like missed that whole Road Packer scenario, but I, I, I think I'm kind of, I think I kind of understand what, what, <laughs> Wait, what, what, what Road yeah, Packer scenario. I think it was like through Luca, and then, and then it was like we, I don't know, we, how do we conceptualize the first film screening? I feel, I feel like I you guys already don't... had something in the works, and we kind of just like co-signed it with you. Yeah, well, yeah, we. I can't. I actually can't even remember when the first time we talked about it was. The road packer is the necessary critique of the ion pack, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I mean, but, I've always looked at. I mean, like, uh, I don't know. If, my favorite movie, Spy Club. Like, I've definitely seen it like an obsessive amount of times, and I definitely like really something about. It, it, the way that like Tyler Durden thinks or like, you know, he, the way he like franchises Fight Club in yeah. a way has always like really excited me. Like, you know, while while Edward Norton sleeps, like he's out there like setting up these little Fight Clubs all around right. the United States. I, I've always like kind of looked at, I've always wanted that for SDP or whatever I'm doing, but I've, I've also kind of always thought that like, I unpack was in a way like the fight club of the, of the film world, you know, as so far as like, <laughs> like when I met that kid with the wig, like I, I was like, Oh, you're, you're, you're 
I am back. He's like, no, I thought you were. I was like, oh, this thing's crazy. And like, whenever anyone would ask me like what the I am pack was, I would tell them like, yeah, it's like the fight club of the film world. Like they work in the movie theaters, they work at your production company. Like, you know what I mean? And you don't know who they are. And like, be careful because they're fucking watching your shit. And it's like, I just like thought that would be amazing if like you had kids that worked at like movie theaters and production companies across the world that like, now we oh, do. Like, that's that's what the Discord is. <laughs> yeah, that's the direction we're moving in. That's, a, that's an incredible way to frame it. <laughs> I mean, we had we had half the staff of Metrograph, so yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. You just have like, yeah, you just have bodies. Yeah, I mean, uh, if there's bruises on people's faces. I mean, the, the real Fight Club is Ion Selectuals. Oh yeah, what's Okay, obviously, I'm like, I'm always a little bit further behind on the internet thing, but like, I do know what Intellectuals 2 is, and I, I follow it when they're not, their account's not deleted. <laughs> like, how did that take off? And like, what is this group chat that you guys were referring to? And how do I get on that? Because it sounds like something that I would find really entertaining. Yeah, no, we'll, s- we'll send you the link. Yeah, we'll send you the I mean, Discord basically, link. Once we, once we set up like a little Patreon thing, we were like, people were joining it, and we were like, we should give we should give these people an account to do what we do and like make like grow this thing outside of us. Cause it's like, it's really, I mean, given that we're anonymous, it's like, it is about sort of like everybody kind of having their own sort of like rebellious voice and sort of an oppressive, like, you know, creative industry. And I think they're fucking having a blast. Yeah, no, I love that. It's become this thing. Like, I love that there's like a John Raffman intellectuals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, there's, there should and, definitely be like a Shia LaBeouf intellectuals. At this point. <laughs> there's I just a, like love that. Like, I feel like in the same way that like everything should have its own discord, like every, like there should be a game of Thrones intellectuals. There should be, we're everything the, should have its own intellectuals. Yeah. Well, yeah. well um, there, there's make, a, I think an upcoming like, make one, whoever <laughs> they will. I think an upcoming episode, <laughs> I think an upcoming episode is a round table discussion of the ions, intellectuals and John Rothman's intellectuals. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, it's, it's really interesting. It's a, the intellectuals are, uh, memeing us and then rogue exists as, a critique of us and the selectuals. It's really uh, a whole ecosystem. I mean, to me, like it's more cinematic than anything like I can personally accomplish <laughs> through making a movie because it's like it's happening always in real time. Real time. Yeah, game. no, I mean, and also like, like this is what I, I think what we're talking about as far as like creating this like or pioneering like this digital landscape. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's like that there are these sort of like subgroups and subcultures that exist on like super niche like it's interesting to me and and i love that i don't know that much about it you know because it's like it's that much more fun to like research yeah. or investigate yeah or that like, means it's new like when you it's like the fact that there's still stuff on the internet or on your phone that like we were like whoa what the fuck is this like that means that you're in a wild west scenario which is where the good shit is yeah i mean the yeah. worst thing is being on the internet and like not having anything to do well that's the the whole yeah. thing with um the selectuals and then like uh and trevor trevor memes brazil these accounts where it's it's honestly uh it's a really new kind of look on humor to me if we really want to get into it it's like uh the way it presents its punchlines is really unique and disruptive in a way that could only really exist on instagram uh so it feels yeah, it's like really self-deprecate it's like the answer to like the identity politics like polarity you know it it's is. like it's yeah reaction. totally How can it's, we yeah. just make fun of ourselves in the like most honest way 
you know, you're getting like satisfaction in, in, in both things. Right. You're like making fun of the person who's reading it while making fun of yourself <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's always been our, it's yeah, always been our hope to at one, at someday be memed or be roasted because that's, I mean, that's where, that's like where the beauty is. That's definitely like an eye unpacked meme, I feel like. Well, yeah, well, now there's a bunch of them every day on the on <laughs> but, but people who pay our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> people pay us to so that they can roast us. Damn, I was really searching for that meme. I was trying to find um, the Hello Kitty meme I mentioned so I could send it to you guys, but I couldn't find it. Oh, no, I've, I've seen it. I fucking use the internet. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> There's, uh, there, it's actually crazy how rarely someone sends me a meme that I haven't seen already. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if that's a good thing. You would think it's a bad thing, but I think in 2020, it's yeah, it's, it's a good thing. It's, a it's good so thing. true. I'm trying to what? think of my favorite meme. I don't even really know what a meme is. That's like, what I'm saying. I know that's what a meme why, yeah. is, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, that's like the funniest things to me on online now are just like. Uh, like they're not even memes it's just like some thing that intellectuals or trevor posted you know which I mean? by the way is still a refinement of what we grew up with like on e-bombs world it's like a video clip or an image it's the same shit yeah so oh true. man e-bombs world fuck soundboards <laughs> we're aging ourselves now <laughs> dude we really should make a, an eye on soundboard oh yeah that dude that's the best because all the, the clips from the one, intro and shit like yeah, yeah. oh yeah because well, no, it's should. always like like I we discovered that like AOL and like T-Mobile and all those like all like major like one eight hundred numbers like they had a policy where like they can't hang up on a customer, so like we would just like we would just spend hours with like the cock push-ups like soundbite and stuff like that. <laughs> the <laughs> cock push-ups, wow! <laughs> <laughs> the cock push-ups. <laughs> What's that from? That's not what's that? Saving Silverman or Save, something? Saving Silverman. Oh, oh big shout to Saving Silverman. That's one of the wow. best comedies for me. Jason wow. Bateman, dude, he like really went on the terror for a minute. I wonder what happened. Like, a dude, E-Bombs World still exists. They're like still posting shit. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> the only one we really lost in the the internet war is is Hipster Runoff. Like, I feel like Carl's is yeah. one, of, one of the. What about Rotten.com? That was like a that was yeah, just like was oh, there was wow. like a moment where I just like couldn't. I just like cracked. Still realized exists, what it I is I was looking at. I was just like, "This is wrong." <laughs> like yeah, dude, there was old, you know? there was shit posted on Ebombs World today. There's like people whose jobs is posting on Ebombs World. That's insane. There's people whose job it is to be in serving the people in the impact too. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Lucian, thank you for coming on the Ion Pod. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, dude, I love uh, that. Was great. I've always wanted, like, yeah. I don't know. I was like really heartbroken that Charlie Rose got canceled because I've always wanted to be on Charlie Rose, but I feel like this was like the next best thing. So true. <laughs> yeah, we're the new Charlie Rose, the new Howard Stern, and the new. Yeah, this is it, right? We're creating. Yeah. We're creating culture right now. And you're the next Steve Jobs. Oh man. <laughs> Beautiful night. That was good. All right, guys. Thanks, bro. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess I'll leave you off with, I'm watching Childhood of a Leader right now. Beautiful. You know who that is? I do. I Robert Pattinson like, made fun of me for saying that I liked that movie. Whoa. Movie. I wish Robert Pattinson would make fun of us. <laughs> for anything. 
We never even really took aim at our pet. No, we never did. We need to get our pet on here. I mean, so that's, true. yeah, that's the reason we didn't roast them. <laughs> 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 uh, but thanks, man. This was sick. This was oh, insane heat. All right, guys. Good night. Good night, bro. Peace, man. Peace. Peace.